There we go. We've had a sound system failure that we can't reset, so we're just going to go like this for now, and if you don't mind, I'm going to take that off over there. Hello, guys. So this morning, I was shaving, as men sometimes do, and uh, as I was shaving, my six-year-old came running through, and um, he says, Dad, Mom told me it's been a year and then more than another half a year until we went to Aiken Nuts. Which is where we are this morning. So he was tremendously, tremendously excited that we are back at Aiken Nuts. I think the outside there, there's these pictures of these acorns, and in his mind, this is, this is it. So this is so wonderful out of the mouth of babes. But it is so, so good to um, be back. As we come back, I just think it's really appropriate um, to thank everyone who's led one of our groups in the last 18 months at home. So if you've led a group, um, in your home at any point over the last 18 months, won't you just stand to your feet? And I would just love us to honor these guys and girls. So Ryan and Nat, stand up. Nathan Manns, everyone that's, that's around you that's led groups. Won't you stand up and let's just honor and thank these guys. Thank you for your hospitality. You can sit down, thanks. Thank you for opening your homes. I'm sure there were many um, evenings where you thought, oh, really, tomorrow, get a tidy, get everything sorted, people coming, and I'm just so grateful that we've been able to meet, and, and just amazed, I was in prayer time this morning, I was just reminded of the parable of the farmer who goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and God's done the work, and it just feels like in, the, in 18 months, we haven't been able to gather like this. We haven't been able to come back into our venue, and it just feels like while we've been inverted commas asleep, God's been doing such a work among us. I look out, there's so many of you I don't know. That's cool. It's amazing that while we've been shut down, God has been adding people into little groups. Maybe some of you, your testimony, maybe one day would say, I would never have come to this church. But a little group, I was okay going to a small group. And so you went to a little group, and now you're here. Look at you. It's wonderful. Wonderful. And God just works in such surprising ways. Right. Let me give you a little, a little heads up around next week. You guys know Lex and Joe. They're fathers and mothers in our home. They come and preach with us regularly. They lead a church called Jubilee in the city of Cape Town. They're going to be with us next weekend. Lex is an amazing evangelistic gift. That means that he speaks, and when he speaks, he just can't help the gospel coming out in a compelling way. Every time he speaks, it just comes out so winsomely, so thoughtfully, so much more helpfully than those of us trying to sometimes share the gospel without this gift. And Lex is an out-and-out evangelist. So the invite is so straightforward. Just get to your friends, tell them, hey, come along, come join us. Next Sunday, 9.30, Lex and Joe are going to be with us. And then today, as Batesy mentioned, is the last of our part two in Ephesians. So we're going to be doing Ephesians probably over the, over the next year still, but in, in parts. And we've just finished part one, which was called In Christ, Identity, Adoption, Every Blessing in the Spiritual Heavenly Places, all of this language that we've read in Ephesians 1 and 2. And now we've been talking about the church has a future. The church has a future. And as I've been uh, preaching in these last nine weeks, and others have held the pulpit, and I've been listening, I felt such a, a fresh surge of confidence in my heart around God's plan for the church. I don't know if any, anyone else has, has felt that, but as I've, as I've 
thought about it and, and preached out of Ephesians and read Ephesians over and over, I've been reminded that this is God's idea, not mine. And I, as a pastor, feel confidence that it didn't come out of some pastor's fraternal or some pastor's conference that we went away with and came back with a new idea to 10 steps to how to build your church. God inspired this. God designed this. It's God's idea. And, and, and we read Ephesians and it becomes so clear where he says, you were dead. Th- that enough. That's enough to just say, well, what could I have done? You were dead. I was dead. But now you are alive. He says, you were, you were hostile to one another. There was racism rampant. You were at war. You were divided. You were so divided that you built up walls of hostility between each other, between these different races. And there's words and phrases like this. You were, you were separated from Christ, alienated, strangers to the covenant of promise, no hope, without God. These are not good words, right? These are terrifying words. These are, these are terrible realities. And then Ephesians says, but, beautiful word, but through Christ, but through Christ, God's idea, people begin to gather. I I brought you near. He says, I brought you near. I created peace between you. I smashed hostility, not just between you and God, between us, between us right? And God effectively creates one new humanity. It's it's that radical. When When you read Ephesians, he says, I took two men and I made them one. I created a new humanity where there's no more hostility, no more division, no more far away, you're not a citizen, I am a citizen, all of these things. A new community. And for the Ephesian people that we're going to be reading about this morning, this is an actual, like, they've got like a living front row seat to this, right? So we're 2,000 years later. We kind of just think of church as church. We don't think like these guys are thinking, where they used to hate that guy that's sitting over there. And now Paul's teaching them, but God came and smashed that wall of hostility. And they're going, oh yeah, yeah, you remember, we used to have that wall of hostility. It was in the temple and you weren't allowed because you're Gentile. And if you came, you got killed. And it's like, it's right in their face. It's right there for them. And they're living this reality. And God comes and does this, and he simply calls it the gathering. In Greek, ecclesia. It's all it is. Now, we call that the church. Isn't that so cool? It's literally just a gathering made possible, a gathering of people who can live in unity, who can live in peace, who can live without hostility, because God came and said, I smashed down the wall. That's profound for me. And I have such a fresh confidence around what we're doing here this morning. I have such a fresh confidence that we're not just here because it's the right thing to do. Like paying your TV license, and you should do that apparently. Or we're not just doing this because it makes us feel like we're a little bit closer to securing that ticket to heaven. That elusive ticket that, we, that we're trying to get out. We're not doing it for this, friends. We Look around you. Let's do this. Why don't you say hello? Why don't you look around you, say hi to someone in a social distance kind of responsible way.
Now, as you've said that, oh guys, isn't it so cool to have a whole bunch of brand new married people, like newly married in the last 18 months? Hey, so many of you, I think there's like four or five new married couples. I mean, is it that many? There's, there's, a, there's a lot of you. It's wonderful. So all these people you're saying hi to, right? Here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. In Christ, some of these very people, anyone here who believes in Jesus Christ and declares Him as their Savior, you are being built into something so beautiful, something so staggeringly unspeakable, so precious that God Himself in Ephesians is saying that He builds Himself into this body. He says, you're the body, I'm the head. God Himself declares Himself part of this body that's how incredible it is right and our precious little one hope just one little church is a little piece of God's glorious idea we just one little piece there's our friends Christ church that we've been praying for just down the road there's shofar there's every nation there's Josh Jen, there's the Baptists, there's the Presbyterians and Tony and his wife who lead that. There's all these guys, and, and these are just some of the guys that we, that we know and that, we, that we're friends with personally. But how many more churches are there in Steelies? All part of one body if they believe the true gospel. One body, one church, right? This is Ephesians, God's plan, right? That's just, I wanted you to start there. I know it's just a reminder. But I wanted to just, in our hearts, I've just felt as I've been preparing and praying, we need a confidence in our hearts that this is God's idea. It's God's idea. And God says, this is good. This is for your good. Warren, how good has it been for you to be in? How many years have you been in church? Hundred and what? <laughs> Twenty-five years. Has it, been, has it been good for you? so good. Every person who's dedicated and committed their hearts into a local church will testify and say, man, it's been hard. There's been moments where I've been so hurt. There's been moments where I've wanted to run away. Guys, I've hurt people who have left. This is the reality of doing church together. It's broken people thrown into a God idea, but we're not God. And so we break things, and yet still we can say, God, this is your idea, and it's good. It's good. Now, I hear the cynic in my own head, and maybe a few in the room, saying, ah, you know, I, this guy sitting next to me that I turned and said hello to, this, this girl now, nah. No, man, the picture, you, the picture you're painting of this beautiful church, this unspeakable, beautiful thing, they're not that. This guy's my husband. I know he's not that. <laughs> I've got firsthand experience that he's not that. Right? And you, you're sitting around me. You don't fit that description. If we're really honest, we might even make it a little bit more personal, and we might go, I don't fit that description. Like that beautiful little... Letter. I'm sure you've heard this story. I think it was um, G.K. G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton. You always get it right, Ollie. And they wrote to a whole bunch of prominent people and said, "What's wrong with the world?" It was the New York Times that wrote this this, this question out and said, "What's wrong with the world?" And people wrote these long 
essay responses of what's wrong with the world, and he simply wrote, Dear Sir, I am. Full stop. It's us. Right? Don't despair. So we have this picture of this incredible church. And then we have, not this church, other churches, the reality of our lived experience and being hurt and not measuring up in any way, shape, or form to what we see here in the book of Ephesians. And Paul says, don't despair, who's the author writing this. He's, he's holding up both this high and beautiful vision of the church. One day, as God intends, this church is going to be glorious. And then at the same time, he begins in chapter 4 to deal with what we're dealing with in our everyday lives right now. And he starts to speak about how we need to walk. And so our next series, which we'll probably only do at the beginning of next year, out of Ephesians, will be called Walk This Way. This is how you should now walk, knowing your identity in Christ, knowing that the church has a future and we can have confidence in God's plan. Now I'm going to help you walk this way, is what Paul is saying. And, and this is so comforting to me because right in the muck and the mess of our lives and your lives and in our sin and in our best efforts, but our best efforts never seem to quite be good enough, just me. And my frustrating inability to cope with so much of life and frustrations or depression as we have that or trying to navigate family realities, maybe singleness. And we hold up this idea of marriage and family as this ideal that people are trying so desperately to reach. And we never speak about singleness and godly singleness. And we're holding this up and maybe that's crushing for you this morning or maybe it's a, a black big blanket of anxiety, and you're saying, Paul, you hold up this picture of this beautiful church, and it sounds so encouraging, but my life looks nothing like this, and some days, I can't even think about holiness, and I, I, I can't even think about trying to glow in the dark. All I can think about is just trying to cope, right? Let's be encouraged this morning as Paul holds up both what this church is meant to look like, what we're becoming, what God is doing, as well as holding up the realities of what our life looks like right now, right in this season. And so this morning, I want to encourage us from God's Word. Can I ask you to turn to Ephesians 4? I should have done that at the beginning so you knew I was going to use the Bible, as we always do. Ephesians 4 and chapter 11 is where you can turn. And I'm going to Help us this morning, hopefully, just navigate our way just another few steps forward in our desire to live a little closer to what God says, this is my plan. This is the church I designed. This is the idea I have in my mind. And I've actually titled this sermon, Just Look at Her. Just look at her. She is beautiful. She is radiant. She is glorious. When Jesus looks at his church, he doesn't see what we see. He sees Ephesians 1 
You were dead in your sins and in your trespasses, but God made you alive. You've been declared righteous. You're adopted. Josh, you're adopted into the family of God. Do it. Go for it. Yes. Double yeah. We are redeemed. We are made new. We are forgiven. This is how Christ looks and sees even that person you said hello to just now. And even moi. That's glorious. Are you on board? Let's talk about this church. But before that, I want to read the scripture out of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And he gave, speaking about Jesus, and Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. We did a sermon, I think it was three weeks ago, around that exact verse and the confusion around that. Apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, pastors evangelists. You can go on the website. You can get it. You can listen to it. I'm not going to stop there today. He gave these guys to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it sounds really positive, but it's quite confusing, right? So we're going to get to that in a moment. But there's something cool happening there, and we're supposed to aspire to that, so that we are no longer, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, so there's an alternate way to being thrown about by the waves like a child. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Is Mandy here? Is Mandy here to go to the kids? Oh, there you are. Mans, won't you come and pray for us this morning? Our Father, what a privilege it is to be under your word this morning. Um, we pray for Paul as he yeah, just comes and preaches his word to us. Father, won't your spirit be upon him? Um, be in his words. Father, open our hearts to receive your word wholeheartedly. I pray for faith to step out into your calling as your word is spoken um, to us this morning. And won't your truth be held high this morning, God? We just pray, Holy Spirit, you'll be with us, that you'll bring clarity that you'll bring conviction, and that you'll bring a movement that glorifies our Father to the Most High. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mandy. Okay, so won't you just reflect back to me? What have you heard so far this morning? Church has a future. Unity. God's plan. Don't despair. Me, I'm the problem. You are, Warren. <laughs> All right? These are the things. I just love different people would grab onto something different. But I want us to take away a confidence that God's in this, that this is God's plan. We're not meant to be at home. We can do it for a little season on our couch watching TV with our family. But our life group doesn't replace it. Other Christians having coffee with you doesn't replace it. Seeing someone at spa who's a Christian and going, hi, that's not church. The gathering of God's people. Confidence in that. All right. 
Let's dive into this this morning. So the way I want to do this is we're going to go through the text line by line. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to answer some questions. I'm going to double click on some points, and then we're going to apply it at the end. Are you all right for that? I have no idea where we are time-wise. Thank the Lord we're in Africa, so we don't have to worry. We're good. Verse 11. This is where it starts. And he gave. Who gave? Okay, context here. Jesus, we've been speaking about that. Bernie spoke so well. Guys, we've had like three, three, four new preachers as well over this last 18 months. How awesome is that? Just seeing some of our young guys and girls, new guys and girls, an American, for goodness sake, Stefan in the pulpit. Awesome. Just wonderful to hear this. Cap- anyway, I get distracted. Sorry. I get very excited when you gathered again, right? And he gave. All I want you to take from this is it's a gift right? And what is a gift? A gift is good, pleasant, Christmas, birthday, awesome. He, Jesus, gave. And that equals a good thing. Now, the reason that I'm laboring that a little bit is because sometimes we read this and we see apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds, and what comes to our mind is not good, Right? Because we've been exposed to apostle so-and-so from the international so-and-so and prophet this and that. And there's been abuses. And we've seen shepherds who've over-shepherded and they've created a congregation where they've controlled and it's become cultish. And so we read these things and we go like, oh, I'm not so sure I want that. Thank you very much. And I just want to point out right in verse 11, Jesus gave this. It's a gift. And we can rest assured it's good. What did he give? I told you I'm just going to ask simple questions and answer simple questions. What did he give? Well, here it is. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, here's where I really want us to get our teeth into today. Like a good four-year-old, what should you ask when you read a statement like this? He gave someone, he gave the church this and this and this and this. What would a good four-year-old ask? There we go. Why? Why did he do this? Why did Jesus think this is good? Here's these, and remember, all of these gifts are teaching gifts. So an apostle is someone who builds up the foundations. A prophet is someone who takes the whole word of God and says, this is how it applies into our generation. This is what's happening. This is how God's word speaks into gender identity right now. That's a prophetic preaching gift, etc., etc. You can go and listen to that sermon. But like a good four-year-old, we ask, why? Why did Jesus think it was good to give these gifts to his newly gathered Ephesian people? Why did these people who had been at war with one another and have hostility, and they were not citizens, and they were not God's people, and now they've come to life, why did he think, hey, you know what you need? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, pastors. Well, it's very straightforward. The beginning of verse 12, he gave to equip the saints. All right? Now, some of you have a Roman Catholic view on that, right? Just turn to someone next to you and go, he's talking about you. We, we're the saints, right? Now, you don't feel like that. You don't look like that. I know that because I don't look like that either. We are not... The saintly saints that we've got used to that idea of that word. But when Paul's using that word here, it's us, right? So to equip the saints, that's what it's given for. Now, 
That means literally to give them tools to do the job they need to do. Like the equipment. Equip. Like the right equipment, the right tool for the right job. Now, you're thinking, okay, this is really just, I could have just read this and done this at home myself. You could have, and you should. It's, but it's so profoundly simple. But what do the saints need equipping for? Carry on reading. Is it up? For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In other words, they say, I, okay, I'm being very teacherish this morning, say I, say I do the work of ministry. Say I build up the body of Christ. By using the gifts that God has given me. Isn't that profound? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I look at this, it's so simple to understand. But something in us should go, stop the bus. Church doesn't look like this. Does it? It's a question. Does it? Do you see everybody in a gathered community using their gifts? Them doing the ministry. See, I think that we've rewritten this to say, he gave the apostles, the preachers, the prophets, the evangelists, the whatever it is we want to put up over there, and they must equip the saints, and they must do the ministry, and they must build up the body of Christ, which is just another way of saying the gathering, the ecclesia, the church. Would you agree with that? Right? Or is it just me? Someone at this point should be raising a big red flag and saying, hang on. This doesn't look like what I'm seeing being built all around me. Including, I'm just going to say this softly, in one hope. Right here. We don't need to look at that church over there. Right here is a fresh revelation in our hearts as elders where we're saying, God, we need to not monopolize ministry, but to multiply. How do we let many people, many people, all of you, every person begin to say, God, what is my gift? How do I use it? What does my contribution look like? Does that mean we're going to have 50 preachers up here on a Sunday? Absolutely not. But it means something different to what we're seeing right now. It means that we need to start thinking, God, how do you want to activate and bring confidence to every man and woman sitting here that you've placed a gift in them that they are meant to use? So we have a fresh confidence around the church and around this being God's idea. And then we need a fresh confidence around this being God's idea. That God's idea is that every man and woman who says Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and I want to be part of a local church is being used to be building up that local church for the work of ministry. Who? Say I. Okay, we could, we could literally end there. That is what I came to say this morning. I wanted to come this morning and remind us that the saints are the ones who are called for ministry. So what about 
these, will you go back to that other one there, Dev or Bev? I don't know who's doing the, or Beth who's doing the other ones. The apostles, the prophets. What about them? What's their job? All they're doing is exactly what they're saying down below. They are just saints, and their work of ministry is a little different. Their work of ministry is to equip the other saints. They are catalytic gifts. So imagine you've got a, a cauldron full of people, okay? It's a bit of a, not a great image, but a cauldron full of, of things, people. We'll say people, right? And then God comes and Jesus says, you know what I think is going to be so good? I want to give you a gift. And the gifts I'm going to pour on, here's some apostles, here's some prophets, here's some teachers, here's some pastors, here's some evangelists. And as those men and women hit that cauldron, this thing should begin to bubble and explode, not with their greatness, not with how awesome they are and paulhoatson.com ministry and we start international ministries built on a man or a woman and when that person falls all of a sudden tons of people lose their faith not like that at all it should begin to bubble with the saints being equipped to say god you've put a discernment gift in me i was praying with someone this morning who said that they've got a discernment gift but they haven't really explored it that much and they're not sure how it works but they keep on feeling like it's there we should be equipping equipping saying to a person with a discernment gift right i mean this is an easy one to look at because you go discernment on the one hand you can go what is, what is the gift of discernment it's being able to see it's being able to see what other people can't easily see and most of the time, you probably think everyone else can see it. And then somewhere, because that's how gifts work, you think everyone else can do the gift. It's easy to play guitar. You should all play guitar. Why don't you play guitar? It's the simplest thing in the world. Right? If you're gifted musically, you're going to play guitar or another lovely instrument. Right? So discernment works by seeing. And then somewhere along the line, they go, oh, not everyone can see what I can see. And then there's a critical crossroad at that point. Because what happens with the gift of discernment is that sometimes the person with the gift of discernment now goes, Oh, I can see what others can't see. I'm special. Right? Or they go, Man, if only you could see what I could see about that church and that person. And a cynicism and a criticism grows up in their, in their hearts. And we've got to ask the question, well, why was the gift given? Very simply, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so if you want to know if you're functioning effectively in a godly way in your giftings that God's given every single believer, are you getting that? Ask yourself simply, is this the work of ministry? Is this for building up the body of Christ? And it's suddenly so clear. When, you, when God shows you something about a church that's a problem in that church, you need to go and the active thing to do is to pray and to begin to cry out and say, God, I've got this gift. You've shown me something that other people can't see. Now I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray and ask you to change that thing. Please, God, come and change it. That's the proper gift of discernment activated and maybe at some point in your prayer you feel God saying go and speak to them so you go appropriately you don't go and gossip in the corridors you go appropriately to the right people and you say I, I want to just humbly say that I think God's showing me something can I share it with you and if they open to that you share it with them 
It's so simple. And in that you can say, am I doing the work of ministry? Yes. Am I building up the body of Christ is the easier one. Yes, you are. So, sister, that I was praying with this morning and anyone else with this gift, take that gift. Say, God, catalyze it. Work it. I want to, I want to see more. I want to be faithful with what I've seen. I want to pray like crazy. I want to speak. Sometimes it's not a church. It's just an individual. And you go to a friend and you say, hey, you might not see this now, but I can see something that I think if you keep on doing this thing in 10 years' time, you're going to have a harvest of pain here. Would you mind if I share with you? And just individually, we minister to the body, build up the church. Make sense? That wasn't in my notes, but I did want to say it. And I'm going to just have to not do a whole bunch of my notes today, so don't stress. Okay. But when we look at the stop the bus moment, and we have to go back to a few weeks ago. And actually go and read Ephesians chapter 4 again. I've lost my place here. And understand the context of what's happening. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul begins to speak about unity, unity, unity. This is how you maintain the unity with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And then he goes and he says, there's one body, you remember this, there's one body, there's one baptism, there's one church. He says seven times he uses the word one. What's he emphasizing? Unity. So simple. He's saying unity, 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 unity. Then in verse 7 he says, but grace was given to each one of us. So now he's saying you unified, you unified, you unified, but you're not all the same. This was Bates' fantastic biscuit analogy from, I think it was four weeks ago, that preach. We're all biscuits. We're all unified as biscuits, but we're not all the same biscuits. We're not, it's not uniformity. It's unity, right? So he's saying unity, 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 but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so what he's saying is there's a measure of gifting given to each different person. It doesn't make you ununified. It just makes you different. We all have different gifts. And so the context here is exactly what we're speaking about. Different gifts. Jesus giving gifts. Jesus giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, discernment, administration, acts of mercy, acts of service, all these gifts and probably more than what we find in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, etc., and I'm just showing you from the text that this is the correct context that he's speaking here about you and I using our spiritual gifts. Are you with me still? Are you sure? Ah, oh, guys, I've taken so long on that, and I really wanted to get to a bunch of other stuff here. Do you want to just stand up and shake your limbs around a little bit? All right, 
I'm going to try and wrap this up in the next 10 minutes. Optimistic, but let's see how we go. <laughs> All right. You believe in me. So can we, can we for a moment assume some, a massive assumption? Because I, I want us to see, the thing I want us to see leaving today is that God, I want us to see that God has given us a fresh confidence that this is His plan. I want us to see that the church is not following this plan. Not, I'm, not, I'm not just putting it all into, like a, into one whole bracket. I know the church is following it in part. There's elements of it here. We're seeing gifts emerge. It's not like there's just one person who hogs everything in one hope. But it's not enough. Okay, I want you to see that clearly. And I want you to see clearly a confidence in the pattern and the way that God himself has laid out for his church. He's saying there's a way here that these people teach these people so that everybody gets to play. Everyone gets on the field. This is not 12, what, 15 men running around on a rugby field and another 15 men trying to thump them and everyone in the crowd's just cheering. This is not the model for church, right? Everyone gets to play. This is after the game carnage when everyone just runs on the pitch. That's more, that's why it's so messy, right? That's what it looks like. And until, so let's, let's assume that this is happening according to the way that God lays out. Well, then what happens? What happens if we began to follow this pattern? Do you remember the movie Despicable Me? Is it, is it just me because I've got little kids? Do you remember there's this moment where she gets this teddy bear and she goes, It's so fluffy! Do you remember that part? When, when I read this text in Ephesians and I get to this part in Ephesians 4.13, I'm just like, it's so beautiful! This church is just glorious. It's so magnificent. Look, look at what he says. Until... So we, we, these, these brothers and sisters, the wind is blowing my pages all over the place. I'm just going to read from here. Until we all attain. So as these brothers and sisters in Christ are equipped and they begin to function in building up the body of Christ. Until, so this is going to keep on happening. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? It means Jesus is the measure. Jesus is the measure in the fullness of his stature. When we look at Jesus, here's something remarkable. I think Ollie's going to mention this in communion just now. Do you realize Jesus carried every single gift perfectly? There's not a single gift that the Bible lists that Jesus didn't carry. You think about word of knowledge. And you think about him saying to one of the, one of the disciples, he says, I saw you when you were under the tree. You think about miracles and Jesus multiplying loaves. You think about healing. You think about preaching. You think about shepherding. Any of these things, Jesus carries in, in perfect form. And so what happens is that he gives all of these in little parts to the church. So Frederick has one and Jack has one and everyone in this room has one or more. And then he says, as you use them, this church begins to attain to the unity of the faith, global church, all of us begin to look like this, we begin to have more and more of the knowledge of, son, of the Son of God, that's Jesus, until one day in mature manhood we stand next to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is beautiful. When Jesus speaks, now this is a switching of the metaphor, so you've got to get the gender thing switched here. 
But Jesus speaks about his bride. And it speaks about Jesus being the, the, the groom waiting for his bride. And this is the bride. This perfect, spotless bride. And you look at the church and you go, but how? This is how. Ephesians 4 is telling us as people are operating, equipped, working, loving, caring for one another, suddenly we begin to see this emerging, beautiful church. So you say, so Paul, what you're saying is that when we see this pattern happen, this beautiful church explodes onto the scene. Exactly. It's exactly what I'm saying. So th here's, a, here's a vision for our church. Here's a vision for, for One Hope. And I, I, this is a global vision. It's not one that we can claim exclusivity to in any way. But this text so beautifully lays out these steps that we realize that the preaching, teaching gifts in all their five shapes are given to us as a gift from Jesus. Secondly, that every saint is being equipped. Thirdly, so that every saint is equipped so that they can begin to do the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, that's the church, through service gifts. Number four, as we see people doing this, we see unity forming. We see faith growing. We see true knowledge of Jesus growing. We become worshipers. We see maturity happening. And why I inserted we become worshipers is because we don't just get intellectually stronger and stronger and understand more and more of what the Scripture means. It actually changes our lives. And so we see this maturing church is a church of worshipers. I don't mean people who sing songs. I mean people who worship who look at Christ in every situation of life and go, I love you. You're my king. You're my God. All the while, as we carry on reading, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes, we see a church maturing to the point where she's no longer floundering around in immaturity, unable to discern the good from the bad, unable to discern what's an imitation, what's a quick fix version of church or some religious experience or some just experience, full stop. And we see these people getting pulled from pillar to post. No, we want to get beyond that. And he gives us an answer here in Ephesians, rather... Instead of that, instead of that, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up. Part of me wants to, I know it's very rude, but part of me wants to make you turn to one another and go, just grow up. <laughs> it would solve so many of our problems. If, if in our marriage, if, if I just grew up a little bit, honestly, I mean that sincerely. Sometimes I, I wallow so much in self-pity. It's, it's pitiful. It really is. And if any of you are honest, I think, I hope, Unless it's just me out on this planet. But I, I think all of, all of you would feel the same. Like we just needed to grow up in God sometimes. I've been following Jesus since I was five years old. I'm 40 years old this year. That's 35 years. I've got a lot to account for. Right? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. There's just one thing here that's really helpful to remember. 
Paul is actually, so this, I'm applying it quite individually, and it's completely contextual to do that. Scripturally, you can apply this, no problem, into the individual. We can find it all over Scripture. But Paul's actually still speaking about the church. He's still speaking about the global church. And so when he says, when he says we are to speak the truth in love, he's not primarily first talking about you talking to your friend and being careful how you do it. He's actually speaking about how the church speaks in love to the world. How we respond to what's going on in the debates out there. How we respond to what happens in our country. We have to ask the question, are we speaking the truth in love? And that's a difficult intersection, right? Because it's so easy to fall off on this side or fall off on that side. We speak the truth and our eyes get all excited and our, our, our nostrils flare because we're so angry as the church with the world. And we want to speak the truth over the world and we completely forget the love. Or love is held up as so high that no truth gets spoken because we don't want to offend anybody. And we've got to find where these things intersect, right? Can you, can you see this church? Can you see this church maturing to, to the full stature of Christ? Can you imagine one hope if we were able to say, God, make us like her. Make us more like this. And then obviously it applies one to another as well, right? So it applies to those around her. And then we see the church growing up in every way we can imagine, but always centered around who? Christ, the head. It's a sure way you can know that the true gospel is being spoken. Who is the head? Who gets the glory? A man, a woman, or Christ? It's a good test. Guys, I can carry on and on, but I want to end. I'd love to finish that last little section, but we'll do it in another sermon another day. I want to, I want to end with this. How do we respond? I feel like a, I said this week as I put this out um, that I felt that this would be one of the most significant preachers we do this year in One Hope. And the reason for that is that I think that if we get this, it's so catalytic, to, it's so counter how Western church is currently being run that if we begin to get this, I think it is powerful. I think it's completely changing but I also think it's massively challenging. And we're going to speak about that as I end. But I want you to go home. Even now, the Spirit is doing this in some hearts already. But I want you to weigh this message. And I don't want to say it too dramatically, but I want you to have a moment with God where you say, God, is this you? Is this your pattern? And He's already speaking to you from His Word. You don't have to go any further. And He says, yes. This is the pattern I've put in place. It's so clear. You can see it. It's right there. And then I want you to say, am I in? Am I in? Because this is not going to be easy. We must choose in our hearts what kind of church we want to belong to. Do we want to belong to a church where just a few do all the stuff and everyone else comes along and has a cappuccino and sits back and enjoys it? Because I think that is massively tempting. I really do. Our eldership commitment, if 
I speak on, on behalf of us, we want to build a church focused on the biblical mandate of every believer is a minister. Not just a few. Every believer is a minister. We will do all we can to open doors wisely, to encourage others to minister, and to provide meaningful opportunities for gifts to be used. Wisely, as thoughtfully as we can. Not when you necessarily feel it's time for you to preach. Your season is now. We might say, listen, you need another few years of, of talking to your friend and teaching him Ephesians or teaching her James. Teach and do it one-on-one -on -one for a little bit longer. We can see the gift, but it's not ready we want to continue to be committed to maximizing, not monopolizing ministry. I think we're doing this. I think we're beginning to see this growing in our church. It's not a, it, it, it made me insecure, and it delighted my heart. I, I was fighting both of those sides when, when we just finished the dating series. I had nothing to do with it. Not one single thing. No one had a conversation other than to say, this is the idea we're thinking of running with. Do you back it? We spoke about it and we said, yes, we back it. And then they went. And part of me was like, oh, I've been involved in the last three dating series we did. Why are they not asking me to be part of this one? What did I say wrong? Is it our marriage? But then another part of me went, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You've raised up. Charmaine's and Jono and Anne-Marie's who were hosting that thing and Nathan and Mandy who I just heard preached powerfully and Sarah Lloyd and Maddie Ray and these guys were the guys that were there Warren and Karen were on the panel and I just heard of gift after gift after gift being multiplied rather than monopolized right this is our commitment to you we we see we see a lack of training and understanding around spiritual gifts and their deployment in one hope. We're not sure how to get it all right, but we want you to know that our hearts are to see these gifts operating. We want to see them operate. A variety of gifts, and we will press into that. We want you to know, as we've often spoken from this pulpit, that we will hold a radical middle. We want to see all of God's gifts at work in the church, but we are not chasing experience and we are not simply chasing word only. We are looking for word and spirit and where they intersect. And we're saying, God, we know this. This is a horse that is so difficult to ride without falling off on this side or falling off on that side. But as elders, we're saying, God, give us wisdom. As a congregation, I'm asking you to help us have wisdom. But we are saying, God, we want to do this. Now, what's your commitment that's our commitment what's your commitment well guys this is both incredibly freeing and liberating why well because God's called you you might think it doesn't matter if I come to church on Sunday or not or if I got a life group on a Wednesday or not it doesn't matter they don't need me anyway my gift is so puny I'm just a little worm and I don't need to be there anyway and this is so affirming because God's word comes and goes uh-uh uh-uh, every believer building up the body of Christ, we need you. That's incredibly affirming, right? I must bring my part. I am gifted in Christ. It's incredibly humbling for the self-confident among us. Some call it arrogant, right? Some of us think we're wonderful. And actually, this comes and says, you're not the superhero. 
Everyone needs to serve. And if you keep on getting up and stopping others from serving, we need to move you aside. Because you're monopolizing. You're not multiplying. And so one of our leadership tests should not be how many people you can gather to yourself. It should be how many people are being multiplied underneath you. Who's growing because of you, right? And so that's, it's very freeing. It's very liberating, but it's deeply challenging, especially in our current culture, because it's actually extremely comfortable to just stay right where we are. Our consumer culture that we have drunk in with our mother's milk is to receive. And we've been doing that from birth. It's not so easy to return to the biblical model of everyone ministering. That's why I'm saying to you, I want you to go home and actually have a moment and say, God, is this your pattern? And am I in? Am I in? Life laid down. It's not just I get an opinion on where they spend the money in this church now. We all want to do that, right? We all want to govern. This is life laid down. Six, service gifts. All of these gifts, service, work, work, work. Anyway, you get the idea. Have you got the idea? I want to throw out a few examples, and I'm going to miss a million people here. But I don't want us to end off feeling like, oh my goodness, none of this is working in one hope. Actually, God is on the move. We are seeing people at work. Ali, where's, where's Ali McBeal? Somewhere, Ali is running around, probably serving somewhere right now. Ali, I hear so many stories of people who've been touched one-on-one with Ali in a coffee moment somewhere that I don't know about, I haven't asked about, Ali just meeting with people in the middle, guys, of a frenetic life, of a busy life, not public gift, just, hey, can I have a coffee? Would you like to sit down and let's talk about that? That's an incredible gift to the body of Christ. I saw Johan and Sunay here. Johan over there, I saw you guys. If you guys go and have a conversation with this couple and find out just the degrees that they've got as a family in the last few years, right? Along with, along with little children, two little kids, and look at the craziness of their life alongside their work. And then you go and ask me how they take Robin when she was on serves, I mean, on internship, how they take Robin into their home for her internship, how they say, guys, we feel so tired, but we want to run the marriage ministry. We've got such a heart to minister to people who are struggling in their marriage. How do they do that? It's out of a revelation of that other stuff that was up there just now. Every believer is called to minister to the body of Christ. I think of Ryan and Nats. I saw you guys here somewhere this morning. And we had locked down church in their home a lot of mornings. They've got four little kids. One of them is a little terrorist. He's only like, he's like one and a half years old. He's tiny. And I could see sometimes when we arrived that the only thing keeping Natalie up was coffee. She was exhausted. And yet they had cleaned their home. They opened their home. And week after week, people were coming and worshiping in their home. This is, this is the everyday examples. I think of some of our, our younger guys, our, our students. I think of, of Tom and Maddie Ray. I think of you guys leading discipleship groups. These are just small groups of, of guys who come together. I think you have, how many do you have in your group? Four. And in your group? 
three in a group. And week after week, these guys get together with a few other young men, and they talk about life. And they care for them, and they lead them, and they disciple them, and they walk them through different parts of their journey, and someone else did it for them. And I think they were both from you, from Batesy's group. And so we see this. I see Gerard sitting over there, and I, I know this is Dr. Gerard over there. I was supposed to call you that. Hey, you said I have to call you that in public. And Nicolette doesn't look like she's with you today. But these guys pour out their hearts in the marketplace. He's got his practice in Akerstadt. And I don't know, I really don't mean to embarrass you, but I, I know from chatting to your secretaries when I'm waiting to see you, I ask them, how many people does Gerard charge? And she laughs and she says, not all that many. Because so many students in this town have gone through that doctor's office and they've got so much more than what they came for. Because he loves, he's a father heart. There's a father heart of God on Gerard's life. And let me tell you something about that couple, is that the engine might be Gerard, the front might be Gerard, but Nicolette is the fuel that is supportive and at home and loving and caring for him. And these are examples in our midst. And I could, guys, we could, I could honestly go on here for an hour. Just one after the other, just examples of people using their gift in a vast array of different arenas. This is not a church thing. This is a every marketplace, everywhere you go, everywhere a believer sets his foot, we should be saying, God, how do I bring you glory? How do I use my gift to build up this community, to build up this town, to build up this church? All right, I need to end there. God's pattern, God's design. Let me ask you one more time. Who's in? Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she beautiful? This is the, the body that I wish I could, I could spend another three weeks. Maybe we should in, in another few weeks' time. Just speaking on this church, this, what God has got in our futures is just magnificent. Can I ask you, when you ask that question, I want to give you one action step, something I'm learning from my brother Bates. Um, when you've answered that question, are you in? Won't you take a next step and message someone that leads you in some way, shape, or form? If you don't have someone who leads you yet, maybe find someone who you can trust and send them a message or have a coffee and say to them, I'm in. And this is how I think I could do it. This is what I think God's put in me. Or even just, I have no idea, but I'm keen to try and find out. And let's actually take a step to message someone. So is that a clear next step? Clear enough? Batesy, short enough? Pointed enough? Great. Message someone and say, I'm in. This is what I would love to do. 